0: Now, here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio.
1: And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Let me introduce Lilith Dorsey, hailing from many magical traditions, including Celtic, Afro-Caribbean, Native American spirituality. Her traditional education focused on plant science and anthropology and film at the University of Rhode Island, New York University, and the University of London. But her magical training includes numerous initiations in Santeria, Haitian Voodoo, New Orleans Voodoo. And she is a voodoo priestess in that capacity, has been doing successful magic since 1991 for a number of patrons. She is a noted author. Her book is called Orishas, Goddesses, and Voodoo Queens. Lilith, welcome to the program.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited.
1: How did an anthropology major get involved in studying traditions, magical traditions like voodoo?
0: Well, I mean, I, th- I think it naturally flows. You know, my specialty was anthropology or religion, and you know, I was a young person and my daughters were young, and I wanted to really give them a positive role model, you know, and a lot of my teachers were very dismissive of voodoo as a religion or a tradition, and you know, anything that wasn't very standard, they just sort of, you know, Pooh-poohed at me and I, I wanted to prove them wrong because I was tired of that and I wanted to sort of research stuff and put stuff out there that was different and then it just very quickly became a practice. So it just, and there we go.
1: Voodoo is so misunderstood, isn't it?
0: It is, it is. I mean, I think the m- mainstream media gives us this picture of voodoo dolls and, you know, something that's highly sexualized and demonic and evil and dark in a bad way, and uh, that's not what it is at all. It's something that's much more beautiful and, and, and much simpler, I think, than that, you know. It was a slave religion, so it was something that had really strong defenses because those people were going through really, really hard times. You know, it it existed before and it's existed after, but it has those kinds of strong resources to protect itself and to ensure itself that it's still going to continue and go on.
1: One of the ways I think it got misunderstood, Lilith, was, you know, people would see these voodoo dolls with pins stuck in it and things like that. And I was always told by a voodoo practitioner what they originally did was they had a doll that they prayed to for that person But they would pin their name to the little doll, and I guess a lot of people in the media just saw the pins stuck in these bodies, these little dolls, and thought, oh my God, what are they doing to these things?
0: Oh yeah, definitely. It made a good image. You know, sometimes, as an anthropologist, I can say sometimes even in South Africa and you know, parts where Voodoo is in practice, the... Religions there use dolls for healing as, like you said, sympathetic magic for somebody. I have a doll, and I can do healing on that doll because you might be far away from me, you know, and I don't have you there to work with you spiritually, physically, magically right in front of me, so I work with a doll. The other thing, specifically from Nigeria, is sometimes they would have dolls that if somebody had passed on or, or, you know, they would make a doll of them and that way the person was still in their life. That happened a lot with twins, you know, so that the twin didn't have to go through life missing that other half of themselves, you know. And when I think about it that way as something that's used for healing or something that's sort of, you know, used to... Stand in or explain or continue the life of someone who is gone, again, it makes it something so much more beautiful than what you see, you know, in bad horror films and things like that.
1: And what exactly is a voodoo priestess?
0: Well, a voodoo priestess is somebody that's initiated, that studies voodoo. You know, it, it's sort of an oral tradition. It's passed down from, you know, teacher to student. We usually even consider them parents you know, and children, that's how you enter the religion. So it's somebody who studies for a number of years, gets initiation specific to whatever spiritual house or person they're studying with, and then they go on and they function pretty much the way clergy does in any way. You know, my godchildren will call me if they're sick. They'll call me if they have a relationship problem. They'll call me if they're, you know, one of them's running for office this week. You know, (laughs) they call me with all different kinds of problems and things like that. And good stuff, too. You know, we come together to celebrate and have feasts. and You know, but but I think one of the things that people also might have misconceptions about is is that it seems very, like glorious and fantastic. And, you know, a lot of times it's really just like, oh, I have this thing on my foot or my partner's, you know, acting a little weird today because they have a problem with their boss. You know, it's it's not necessarily something that's always so extreme. There's a lot of practical help that I think people get from it, because, again, a lot of times these people didn't have the same kinds of resources to turn to, so they would turn to the voodoo priestess or the voodoo priest, you know, as clergy, but also as, you know, somebody who was an herbal healer, somebody who was a diviner. All of these things come together.
1: Did voodoo originate in Africa or in the Caribbean nations?
0: Well, there are roots in Benin, and it is still practiced there. There's a lot of good work coming out of there, a lot of good documentaries coming out of there about it. Um, and there's also a religion of Vodou, as it's normally, you know, pronounced and, and practiced in Haiti, which a lot of those people came from Benin. They, you know, traveled there before Haitian independence, and, and they've been there ever since then practicing. You know, it did mix slightly with some of the indigenous traditions, you know, of the people that were there on the island of uh, Haiti and and Dominican Republic. So there are kinds of things that are, are different than back in Benin. But there's been people going back from the very beginning to make sure the religions were relatively the same and they were doing things right and they weren't dishonoring anybody and they were being respectful and true to the tradition.
1: Now, Lilith, the practitioners of voodoo, what do they generally believe in? They believe in a god, right?
0: Well, a lot of them are also Christian, which I think is is kind of ironic to people because it doesn't really seem like a Christian tradition. Right. A lot of them are also Christian and believe in one God. In Haiti, they call them Bandai. But then there's lesser energies. I don't necessarily like to call them spirits because sometimes people have a negative connotation to that, but they're sort of, they function in the same way as spirits or saints or deified energies of the universe that people can connect with in so many different ways. You know, they can leave offerings to them. There's ritual songs for them. There's ritual art for them. I talk about a lot of this in the book. You know, there's rhythm, drum rhythms, there's dances, all of these things, you know, for these Loa in Haiti or Orisha, if we're talking about, you know, Lakumi or Santeria, as it's better known. And like I said, there's even hairstyles, you know, you could study your whole life and not learn everything that it was for each of the lower and Arisha, because everything is sort of put out there in a different context. You know, the same way that medicine is put out in a different context. If somebody comes and they're having a problem with love, they might need this or a different person might need a completely different or a different person might need a spiritual bath or a candle. You know, there's a lot of different ways to help people be their best selves and get what they need out of life.
1: But it's a very caring religion, isn't it? It is, it
0: is. I mean, it's very community-oriented. You know, it's very family-oriented. Like I said, it's like a family. Yeah. You know, I've been with the people that I study with for decades now at this point, and I love them just like family. In a lot of cases, they were way more helpful to me than my family. My actual family was, you know? (laughs) So, in that way, you get the family you need sometimes, you know, and that's what I really needed, was to have people that cared for me and could guide me and allow me to help myself and give me those tools coming from the religion that goes back, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of years, depending on what source we're looking at, you know, and, and that for me was just something that was so empowering.
1: And now you're helping other people, so what goes around comes around. You're helping people. I
0: try. Yeah. I try really hard. I feel like, you know, some days I do, some
1: days
0: <laughs> huh. it's more of a struggle, yeah.
1: We're with Lilith Dorsey. Her website is her name, linked up at coasttocoastam.com. Her book is called Orishas, Goddesses, and Voodoo Queens. Now, Orishas, doesn't does that means spirits, right?
0: It comes from the word Ori, which means head, and Ashe, which is kind of a spiritual cosmic force in the universe that permeates all things. I don't know. Some people listening out there might recognize it as similar to the concept of chi. You know, yeah. like it's something that we—it's in everything. Energy. You know? So, yeah, yeah, sacred energy that's in everything. You know, and the Orishas are that sacred energy that goes into your head. So it's it's in your head and it's a guiding force for you. You know, it helps you think. It helps you make decisions. You know, you get initiated and dedicated to an Orisha, and that's that for the rest of your life. You know, you leave offerings on their sacred day of the week, you wear the proper colors, you honor them by eating certain things and not eating other things, you know. There's a lot of taboos and stuff like that that come into it. But it really is basically comes down to this concept of ashe, and how that if we talk about something like an Orisha Oshun, who a lot of people know as the Orisha of love, She's also the ashe of the river. So everywhere that river water is present, she is there. And I think that that's such a beautiful concept, that we can find the sacred in things from nature and things that are around us. You know, she's also in a sunflower. She's also in honey. She's also in that feeling of falling in love or when you're dancing and you lose yourself. You know, all these things represent her.
1: It's an amazing uh, story and series of, in your book. And tell me, and you dedicated it. Well, I'm going to come back to the book in a second. You dedicated it to the jazz lege- legend Dr. John, who died. Jeez, uh, what several years ago, didn't he?
0: It was a year ago. We just had the year memorial on uh, what day was it? June sixth. Oh, so.
1: now t- tell me what made you dedicate a book to a jazz le- legend.
0: Well, I I worked for him for several years. Oh, as you did, a okay. Choreographer and a voodoo dancer. Yes, yes. And he was a dear friend of mine. I just I I loved him so, and I miss him so much. You know, and for me, you know, there were two special things that I mean, obviously, personally, I wanted to dedicate it to him, but he really did so much for getting it out there, you know what I mean, saying that he was a practitioner of voodoo. Because if you look, I mean, he's been around since the 70s. If you look, there were not that many people standing up there unapologetically saying that I practice these things and it's okay. you know. And he was also one of the people who was at his memorial, one of the Neville brothers stood up and said, you know, this man right here is responsible for black and white musicians being on stage together in the United States. And That's a lot cool. of people really credit him with that. And I certainly credit him with that. You know, he was, uh, he used to make jokes that the band would say, where'd you get the white guy from? But uh, <laughs> he had a lot of black people in his band.
1: <laughs> and he was a white person, wasn't he?
0: He was, yeah. he was. And, uh, but he was an amazing musician. You know, he started when he was a child and, uh, you know, he never really had another job, but playing music and, and, he really, when he hired me, he wanted me to do the sacred voodoo dances that Marie Laveau and the rest of
1: oh, sure, yeah, did
0: in the 1800s. And, uh, you know, because I'm an anthropologist, I knew that, and I'd always been a dancer. And I really sort of welcomed the chance to get to do this on the big stage with him.
1: I knew Chuck you know? Berry, and uh, that's another one who just opened the door for all kinds of artists and musicians. Um, it started it it's all for true. a lot of people.
0: No, I know I mean I'm of a certain age, but not that old <laughs> so
1: hey, thanks, I Lilith stories, <laughs> <like that. laughs>
0: I was no, no I remember I, I was Perry a
1: about. I was a kid when I knew him. I'll put it like that.
0: <laughs> no, no, I didn't mean you i i I, <laughs> <Tuck Perry is. laughs> I was talking the jazz musicians used to tell me stories about going through the segregated south and things like that. I'm not old enough to remember that, but some of it sounded really, really, you know, difficult, and, uh, you know, so I feel for them, and, and I, I think it's amazing that people like Chuck Berry.
1: And oh, they Max. went through a lot. I mean, Sammy Davis Jr. went yeah. through a lot. If uh, You know, if it wasn't for Frank Sinatra just basically getting tough with some of these casinos and in uh, venues and stuff like that to help bring Sammy Davis Jr. along, along with so many other African-American talent. Uh, who knows what would have happened at those in those days?
0: No, it's true. It's true. There were people that spoke out, and uh, it was really important. So, yeah, that's why I wanted to dedicate the book to him. You know, just oh, that's cool. He told me once. He was like, I'm, "I'm thankful for your dancing, but the real thing is, is your books. Is your writing books?
1: You Re- know? Real name: Malcolm John Rebenack Jr. Right?
0: Yes, yes. Everybody knew him as Mac, but yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Interesting, indeed. Now, tell us about the book.
0: Well, the book, I, al- I mean, I have other books, but I always wanted to write this book, you know. I think focusing a book on African goddesses, you know, Loa, female Loa and Arisha at, as a way to give people you know, this positive, feminine history that hasn't been presented that much over the years. You know, that's what I really wanted to do. And I think this was definitely the time for it, you know, and it has pretty much everything in there that (laughs) I could get in there. You know, it's good for beginners, but it's also good for people who might be, you know, in Haitian Vodou and not know that much about Lakumi or vice versa. There's stuff in there about goddesses. There's stuff in there about the history of them. You know, if somebody talks about Mami Wada back in Benin, how is that different than Mami Wada across the world, you know, so things like that. I wanted to just put out there for people because these are things that we didn't really get the full history of. And a lot of people still don't know how to access the full history of it. So like I said, both as a practitioner and a scholar, I really wanted to put it out there from both perspectives. You know, not saying I was coming in as an outsider and and trying to analyze it, but I have looked at it. And then I've also been in it and, and practiced it and experienced it on so many different levels for the past ooh, almost three decades. That's so amazing. It's the culmination of all of that.
1: Lilith, explain Santeria to me. Okay. Well, first of
0: all, most people call it La Regla La Cumi, so that's the difference um, to begin with. And it, I think if there's a lot of misconceptions about that because you know, they got all that publicity over the, you know, animal sacrifice, and that's something that I think is difficult for a lot of people to understand. And the way I usually explain it to people is, you know, if your loved one had some sort of luck. We're in the, the time of some extreme times, if your loved one had a sickness and you knew the only thing that would heal them was medicine from an animal and the animal had to give its life, would you do that? So for us, it's those kinds of things, those life and death situations, those really serious situations that needs to be, you know, an animal is given. And most times the meat is cooked and eaten and shared with the community, So it, and it's much more humane than your average kind of wheat plant and, and mm. stuff like that. So I think that's something that gets really lost on a lot of people because that's all they know from the news and stuff like that. But similar to Haitian Vodou, there are Orisha, as we talked about, and each of them is, has their own special place in nature, but also their own special domain of things. You know, there's Oya, who's the mistress of the dead, and people go to the cemetery to leave offerings to her. But she's also the Ashe and the energy of change. So when people are looking for big changes in their life, people can go to her and, and you know, talk to their priest or priestess, their to get some divination, find out exactly how to proceed, you know, in order to have their best. It's not necessarily what you want, but like I said before, it's what you need. So how to get the things you need out of life.
1: With voodoo now, do they cast spells, not necessarily evil spells by any means, but I mean, do they cast spells on things, you know, for better career, jobs, relationships, and things like that?
0: I would probably guess that about 80 or 90 percent of the mambos or hungans, those are the voodoo priests and priestesses, that they would, they cast spells, you know. There's a lot of fake people out there claiming to be uh, actual practitioners and selling spells. (laughs)
1: and they get away with it.
0: Yeah, they do. They get lots of money for it. It's it's a scary thing, you know. And and I think part of that is is they promise a quick fix, and they promise, you know, I'm here talking about how the religion will help you get what you need, not necessarily what you want. And I've had a lot of clients come to me and just be really hell-bent on getting exactly what it is they want, if it was the relationship or the house or, or the job. And, and what they don't realize is, you could get that relationship and it could not be what you want it to be and the same thing with the house or the job you know you could go to that job and you could lose that job the next week or that job could be the site of some tragedy or that job could be something that you end up you know stroking out because it's so darn stressful you know <laughs> like you don't necessarily know what's for you you know maybe you're going to inherit a Hundred thousand dollars tomorrow, then you don't need a job at all. You know, <laughs> so- listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.